You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single day to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's show, episode number 138, we are going to be talking about what I believe will honestly be one of our top five episodes that we will ever do on this podcast. I think the topic of expected probability in this expected probability paradox that many traders are going through right now is one of the most requested, most asked, biggest support ticket things that we get through the website. So I wanted to take some time today to really explain not only what it is, but how it affects traders and how you might look at things a little bit differently using a lot of different case studies and some back testing to kind of prove the point and some data to really solidify what I'm saying, because I'm not just saying stuff that I believe in, you know, it's a hunch that I have. It's stuff that we can prove and we can validate using data. So again, I would encourage you to listen to this whole episode, maybe even listen to it multiple times. If I've sent you this episode through email or on social media or through a message, it's because I think that this might answer the question that you may have been asking me with regard to some of the pricing things and volatility. So where does this really come out of? So I've coined this whole thing, the expected probability paradox. And the reason is, is because originally we had put out a video many years ago now, which still is to this day, one of the most watched videos on our YouTube channel, but it's this idea of finding perfect pricing with credit spreads. And this was maybe five or six years ago. I mean, it was really a long time ago that we put out this video, but the idea behind this, and you may have seen this before, was that in particular, when you are pricing out a credit spread trade, when you, let's say, have a $1 wide spread and the probability of losing on the trade is say 30%, then you want to take in a credit that's equal to the probability of losing on the trade times the width of the spread. So the credit on that credit spread trade had to be for you to air fingers quote, take the trade and not skip the trade had to be 30 cents for a $1 wide spread for a $2 wide spread. It would have to be basically 60 cents, right? So you get the concept. And I think a lot of people have been hung up on this for a long time. And I wish now looking back on it that we necessarily not didn't put out that video, but that we explained it a little bit more in a little bit more detail, which is what we're trying to do here. And we've done before already. But the idea behind perfect pricing is that perfect pricing in any market environment. So that gets you above a zero sum barrier, basically is always the thing that you're shooting for. We're always reaching for perfect pricing, but in reality, we don't find it that often. And especially when markets have really low implied volatility, we find that often perfect pricing is very hard to come by. Even stuff that's even close to perfect pricing is very hard to come by. So what I see people do is that they pigeonhole themselves and they end up skipping trades or not making trades because they think they have to hit this magical target especially when it comes to credit spreads. And then this starts to leak over into strangles and straddles, iron butterflies, et cetera. This idea around perfect pricing is that if the market were to play out exactly like the initial probabilities suggest, you might have to you know, get that perfect pricing for you to make money. Well, I'm here to tell you today that there's a couple things that you don't see happening throughout the expiration month or you haven't really accounted for yet that allow us in nearly all cases to go for less than perfect pricing and still generate a positive expected return. So the idea that options trading is somehow a zero-sum game if we can't get perfect pricing or there's got to be some magical pricing level that we always have to hit is just not how it works in real life. And so many people look at this and say, well, if we can't hit this perfect pricing model, if we can't get a credit that's equal to the width of the strikes times the probability of losing, then I should skip the trade because it's a zero-sum game. I don't know how I win in this, right? I make X number of dollars 70% of the time, but the 30% of the time I lose, I've got to lose more than how much I make, right? So it's this whole concept that we keep going back to or people who are new in this business keep going back to, and it's this fear of the few losers being so big and so large 
that they outweigh all of the small winners. And although we've said it again and again and again, I'll keep showing you guys examples of how that's really not the case. And hopefully today will be the end all be all close the book on this subject podcast that you will listen to forever, hopefully, and send to your friends and family because this is what it's all about. So when we start looking at this paradox, the reason I call it a paradox is because of the unseen things, the unfelt pricing functions that start to reveal themselves over time. And it's an interesting concept because what many people do with options trading is that they look at the initial pricing on trade entry and the initial probabilities of success on trade entry and assume that that is the standard gold ticket. It's going to be exactly what the initial probabilities suggest. But I'm here to tell you is that a lot of things happen or could happen, let's say you can interact with it or not, and we'll go through both. But a lot of things happen between when you enter a trade and expiration. And there's a big difference between probabilities on trade entry and the reality at expiration. And so it's these subsurface things that we talk about that are not readily prevalent. They're not really forward-facing things. They're kind of subsurface that you don't see. It's this iceberg analogy that we see all the time where, you know, you see that image and there's the iceberg that you can see on the top of the water, but then down below, there's so much more to that iceberg. It's, you know, massive, sometimes 10, 15, you know, percent bigger than what the iceberg is on top. And it's this type of stuff that we have to dig down and understand. And hopefully that's my goal here today is to show you these subsurface level pricing functions that we don't necessarily account for on trade entry, but you have to include them because it allows you to get over this hurdle, this mental barrier of being able to make trades. So there's three things I want to cover today on this podcast, and I'll go through each of these independently, but the three things I'm going to cover, and I think are the three key elements to this expected probability paradox and getting over this really is first IVs over expectation. Second is managing winners or profit taking. And then the third is adjustments and rolling. Now I put them in that order because that is the order I think about them. I think about them in literally a one, two, three order. And it's a sequential thing, meaning you could do if you want none of these things, right? Or you could do all of them. And as you do more and more of them, I think you improve your chance of success. I think you reduce volatility. I think you improve your returns. And we'll see that here with some of the research that we've done. So let's start off with the first one. And I want to use a couple different back tests that we've run through our toolbox software. So again, if you don't have access to our back testing software, you've got to upgrade and make sure that you get access to it because it allows you to do all this stuff that we're talking about here and you have unlimited access to run these tests. But I'm going to run two different tests today just to show you that it works in two different scenarios. So the entire time that we're going to go through this podcast, we're going to be looking at two different types of trades, a risk-defined trade and an undefined risk trade because it works in both scenarios and you have to see it work in both scenarios. So the first one that we're going to do is just a very, very simple credit spread. And the reason I want to do a credit spread is because this is really the root of this whole discussion that we always have with people over support and on chat and you know through coaching. It always gets back down to the credit spread. So let's tackle it right face value. So what we did is we back-tested a DIA, which is the Dow ETF. We back-tested the DIA, put credit spread, and we set it up to make one trade or at least one trade every week. You could have overlapping trades, but it was entering at least one trade a week, which anybody can do. It's a very simple strategy to do. It doesn't require a lot of time. You could carve out some time during the day to do one single trade every week, right? And you were targeting 40 days to expiration. Again, middle of the road for our kind of expiration range. We gave it no implied volatility rank filter. So we said here, okay, look, it doesn't matter if it's high IV, low IV, just keep trading. Like, let's see where the numbers work if you stayed consistent and stayed active. And we allocated 30% of our portfolio to this type of trade. So you could spread this among different ticker symbols. But again, we're not using a lot of capital here. We've got 70% of our portfolio sitting in cash. So keep that in mind as we're going through all this. If we're allocating 30%, 70% is truly sitting in cash. This is the returns we get after doing that, right? With 70% of our money sitting in cash. But in this example, in this first back test that we ran, we had no profit exit. We had no stop loss. So all we were doing was setting up trades, entering them, and then sitting back and saying, let's see what happens at expiration. Now, the reason I start with this scenario is because this is at its purest form, 
the laziest possible way that you can trade. And the reason I want to show you this is because I, I want you to understand that even if you were absolutely emphatically, totally 100% dead lazy in your trading, just entering the right position on a consistent basis does wonders to your account compared to the market. I don't understand why people always look at this and are like, you can't beat the market. You can't do this. Yes, you can. And you can do it with 30% of your account and 70% sitting in cash. It's 100% possible to do that. This is the lazy man way of trading. In my opinion, and just to kind of interject this real quick, in my opinion, once we launch our auto trading software here in the next month and a half or so, when we get that out, this is what everybody in this country should be doing. If you're an options trader and you don't at least set up an automated trade just to do this, which is dead simple to do, that outperforms the market, it's crazy. It's crazy that you would actually still invest in stocks. If you can automate this entire process start to finish, which is what we'll have the ability to do. So in this case, with this DIA put credit spread, we had no profit taking, we had no stop loss, and we sold options. And this is where it starts to get you know, kind of back to that perfect pricing. We sold options at the 30 delta. So our short strike was at the 30 delta, meaning that we had a 30% chance of losing on this trade, effectively a 70% chance of winning on this trade. Now we set up all of these put credit spreads to have a $10 wide strike. So you got me. So we sold a $10 wide spread. Now, if you are a student of what we had originally said in that original video that has caused all this commotion over the last couple of years, not saying that it was wrong, it's just there was needed to be stuff added to it. If you would have said that right now, you would think to yourself, well, if it's a $10 wide spread and I am have a probability of losing of 30%, then I need to collect 30% of that $10 wide spread or effectively when we make this trade, I need to collect $300 for every $700 of risk. So a $10 wide spread on the DIA is $1,000 of risk. So if we collect $300, that means our net risk after the premium is $700. So if we truly work off of this perfect pricing model, supposedly anything below $300 of risk, people would say to me, skip, right? They'd say, skip. And this is what I get all the time. I get these questions in various formats, but it's all coming back to the same concept is that how can I be profitable if I can't make money, you know, and I can't collect enough money so that if I win at 70%, but I'm not collecting enough money and the 30% of the time I lose and I lose $700, how can that possibly be the case, right? So we ran this analogy. And first, let me tell you the results overall. So the results overall is that this generated 193% return over the same testing period against the S&P 500. Absolutely crushed the S&P 500. If you have the toolbox software, go ahead and run this test on your own. You can see the chart. It absolutely annihilated the market. It was a very, very profitable strategy. And it did this with 30% of its capital, 70% city in cash, right? Now, here's the interesting part. When we look at the consistency statistics that we have, which is really a hard word to say, consistency statistics that we have, you would have assumed, maybe incorrectly initially, that this trade would have won at least 70% of the time. And that's a logical assumption. That's what many people would base the assumption on when they start making these trades. They think, okay, this trade's gonna win at 70%, so all of my calculations have to be done at 70% chance of success. Well, the reality is, is that this trade actually won 83% of the time. So just the fact that IV's over expectation, and this is where it comes from, implied volatility is always expecting the stock to have a huge move in one direction or another. And what we find more often than not is that the stock never makes those moves on a consistent basis. Does it make those moves maybe once or twice or three times a year? Of course. Of course we're going to have that, right? We're going to have times where the stock has, you know, huge moves and it goes against us, right? And it, even in this backtesting scenario, we had five months where we had losing trades in a row, literally five months of overall losses in a row. And that was our drawdown period. But over time, we won on this trade doing absolutely nothing but just setting up the trade and letting it go all the way to expiration, we won 83% of the time. And so that 13% differential is the over expectation that we found in implied volatility. 13% win rate differential because of implied volatility's over expectation. 
Now you could say that it's all, oh, it's the market going higher. The same thing happens if you do the call spread side. So if you run the call spread side, it was still a wide margin. I think it was like 81% versus 83%, but the same thing happens in both directions. So it's not a one-sided thing. We could run it in both directions and we'll do it here in a second when we run a strangle, which is selling options short on both sides. But an 83% win rate, which is actually crazy that it overstated it by that much. Now the next layer to that is the average premium that we took in. So we track through our software, we track the premium that you take in on all these trades and we average it out. Now again, going back to perfect pricing, many people would say you can't make money in this unless you take in at least $300 of premium on a $10 wide spread that's got a 30% chance of losing. Well, in this case, the average premium we took in was $121.70. So it's less than half of what people think they should be taking in. Now I'm going to pause here and say, I hope you understand how powerful just this part of the podcast is up until this point. This idea, this like crazy notion out there that the only way to trade is through perfect pricing does not account for the fact that IV or implied volatility overstates the expected move by a wide margin over a course of a long period. And that wide margin is where we get our edge. So even though we can't get perfect pricing on a trade, we should still make trades is what it comes down to. We should absolutely emphatically still make trades. And in this case, we took in less than 50% of what should be perfect pricing. And this still was by far and away one of the more profitable strategies you could have run in the last 10, 12 years. So it's really, really fascinating to me that that is the case, but it's it proves the point that just implied volatility is over expectation does wonders to your portfolio if you just set it up and let it go. And this is where it gets back down to like auto trading. You know, if you understand this now, there should be no reason why you can't be comfortable enough to let a computer run this for you, let a bot take care of this for you and do everything you want to do because you're risk defined, you keep your position size intact and you play the long-term game. And that's really what it's all about. That's why we're building the auto trading because I want that because I want to set up a lot of these and just let them go forever and, and never look at them really, you know, just like sit back and let the bots take over. So in this case too, just really quickly before we go to the next scenario, with this DIA put credit spread, the maximum drawdown that we ever had peaked to trough. So if we ever rallied up and then went down or you know went down and then rallied up, peaked to trough, maximum drawdown we ever had was 52%. So yeah, in this case, you kind of mimicked the market for a little bit during the early years because this really started in January of 2007 is when this data started. So 2008, you outperformed the market. You didn't actually lose as much money as the S&P would have selling put credit spreads, which is actually crazy if you think about it, because most people assume you sell put credit spreads and the market crashes, you lose a bunch of money, but you didn't. You actually outperformed the market in that case, but you did go through a pretty good drawdown during that period. Now, again, in this case, we have have done nothing. We don't have a profit taking. We don't have a stop loss. We're just letting everything go to expiration and figuring out what it would be worth the last day. So at some point you went through a 52% drawdown. Okay. Realistic. I mean, it's realistic to possibly happen, but if you stuck with it, you ended up making a lot of money doing this type of strategy. So let's change gears here a little bit and let's make one single tweak to this type of trade. So I want to make one tweak to this back test. So all you can do in our software is you can just literally hit a button to edit it and make a couple new selections or change things up if you want to rerun it with a different format. And in this case, we reran the exact same strategy, a weekly put credit spread, 40 days to expiration, no implied volatility rank, 30% of our portfolio, short strikes at a 30 delta, spread width of $10. The only thing that we changed here is we added a profit target. So this now gets us to number two here from our expected probability paradox that we talked about earlier. So number two is the ability to take profits and manage trades a little bit earlier. So that is another thing that when implemented can now start to layer on top of what we're already doing with IVs over expectation. Remember, even if you don't do this, even if you don't do two and three, which is take profits and make adjustments, you'll still be fine, right? Because the first one that we ran, just let everything go. No adjustments. We didn't talk about rolling. We didn't talk about adjusting. We never hedged, nothing. It was just set it up and let it go. You still do really, really well doing this. But this is for people who now wanna take it to the next level. So if you're saying to yourself, you know, I like the idea of doing that and that's great, but now I want to take it to the next level. 
I want to start really increasing what I'm doing. I want to win at a better rate. I want to reduce the drawdowns. I want to really stabilize my returns. How do I end up doing that? So in this example, like I said, we ran everything the same, except the only thing we changed was the profit target. And now we take profits at 50%. So in this back test, when we ran it, we took money off the table whenever the portfolio reached a 50% profit target. So it's effectively the exact same trades as the other one, except now we're taking money off early. Now, what people would say in this case is like, Kirk, you're absolutely crazy to do this because not only did we not, did we take money in that was way less than the perfect pricing model suggested, but now you're telling me that we have to take profits off early. So now there's no way we can make money, right? I get these emails all the time where they write out all the calculations and they say, if we win at 70%, but we take half of the profits, or even if we win at 72% and take half of the profits, there's still no way that we win on this. But the reality, what actually happens in real market trading is something totally different. Now, in this case, when we look at this, the win rate for this strategy when taking money off the table early was 89%. So this is what we talk about all the time is that when we start taking money off the table, we actually won at a much, much higher clip than we did when we did nothing. And this allows us then to reduce our duration in the market right? Reduce our number of contracts that we're trading and avoids some of these bigger losses that we might've had. So when we run this, we actually saw that we lost our maximum drawdown at any one point was actually 50%. So we lost less money and we had a higher win rate. We actually ended up generating a more stable portfolio. So how many people, I mean, like raise your hand, how many people want to win more often and lose less when you have a drawdown? And this was one of those shining examples. Now, again, you are really subjective to the market here because as the market went down, you, you know, went down with the market early in 2007, 2008, you didn't quite lose as much as the market lost, but you came really, really close. And then you basically followed the market pretty much from there. So it's really interesting to me that again, we took in less than half of what perfect pricing is, but because taking money off the table early, we still ended up generating really, really good returns on this type of strategy. Okay. So that's the first one that I want to go through. That's the DIA put credit spread trade. And again, it kind of proves both points here. Now, before I go to number three on our list of the expected probability paradox items, I want to go over and I want to run some analysis and backtesting on short strangles. Because I don't think that this concept ends, well, I know because I'm gonna go over it, this concept doesn't end at credit spreads. This concept is now extrapolated out to any short premium positions that you get on as an option seller. And so what I wanna do is I wanna again prove this point by now resetting it a little bit in your mind and going over and running some backtests on short strangles because the same concepts are true and we'll see that here as well. So what we did is we changed things up a little bit here too. So we said, okay, instead of running DIA, just because it's fun to have different tickers in here, let's run an IWM, which is the Russell 2000 ETF. Let's run an IWM short strangle. Same weekly frequency, same 40 days to go until expiration, no minimum IV rank. So we're trading naked through all scenarios, every single week, without fail, no filters whatsoever. Same portfolio size, same 30% allocation. So again, even with 30% allocation and 70% sitting in cash, this is what we got. And again, no profit taking and no stop loss. Now I know right there, some of you who have maybe not traded in a little bit or you're not new that new to, or you're not that used to trading so far, you might think to yourself, you are crazy that you would do a short strangle on a consistent basis regardless of IV and no stop loss. So if this thing crashes, you lose all your money, yada, 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 right? But we know position size and capital overall allocations, what saves us there. But for the sake of argument, we're doing this on this test, right? We just want to see what the pure returns would be from setting up an absolutely lazy short strangle trade every single week. Now, in this example on IWM, we did things a little bit different. The only thing we did different here is we only sold the short strike deltas of 20 on either side. So a 20% probability of being in the money on either side. Now, I'll pause here and say, if you're a student of options trading and option pricing, what you naturally should think to yourself is that the initial probability of success on this trade, when you set this thing up in your broker platform, should be somewhere around 60%, right? 
because there's a 20% chance you lose on one side and a 20% chance you lose on the other side. So 40% chance you lose on one or the other side. So the chance that you land somewhere in the middle is around 60%. Now, again, this is what people send me all the time in email. They send this to me in email and they say, Kirk, if I'm setting up this trade, it looks like a 60% chance of winning. How on earth can we possibly make money if I'm winning 60% of the time? And when I do, I'm winning just a little bit of money. And when I lose, I potentially have all this unlimited risk. And I mean, sob story after sob story and fear after fear after fear. So we set this up at a 20 delta. This thing should have won at least at 60%. So let's see what the results are. So running this through our toolbox software, we found out that this strategy actually returned 175% over the same testing period. So it was not as great actually as doing a credit spread, but it really was good in a couple different areas, including drawdowns, which we'll get to here in a second. But this strategy was 100% neutral, always selling premium on a never ending basis, letting everything go to expiration, no profit taking, no stop loss, should have won 60% of the time. Again, the strategy crushed the market, outperformed the market even during the 2007 crash, outperformed during the flash crash, everything just absolutely annihilated the market. Now, where it gets interesting are the consistency statistics. This strategy won at 78%. Now, again, this is the IV over expectation revealing itself in the form of higher win rates. Just doing nothing, just letting the market play out, letting the probabilities play out, saw this strategy, which if you set it up in your broker platform, they would have told you what should win at 60%. What we know to be true is that when you actually let the numbers play out throughout the month and let Ivy's edge start to come in as an option seller, you won 78% of the time and you did absolutely nothing. You did absolutely nothing. So you had about an 18% edge in win rate just purely based on implied volatility. Now, the maximum drawdown in this period was 45%. So you can see why, just for one second here, why I like to trade personally straddles and strangles and option selling strategies like this. Because although in some cases, like a raging bull market, you may make more money as a put option seller, as a put spread seller, We never know when those are going to end, and I feel more comfortable having really, really good returns and taking no directional risk whatsoever, and then having a much lower potential drawdown. And in this case, just doing nothing, you saw your drawdown was 45%. So you had a much more stable portfolio than you would have had with the put credit spreads in our last example in DIA. A much, much more stable. And you can visually see this on the chart when you run this strategy. It's got some lines up and down for sure because it went through drawdowns, but it was much, much more stable. I mean, you're talking about a portfolio strategy that returned a sharp ratio of 75 or 0.75, which is a really decent sharp ratio. It means stability in the portfolio that you're actually getting paid for the risk that you're taking on. Now, in this case, we collected an average premium of $150. And so again, this is hard to judge now with strangles because we're not using spread width to determine this. So we've got some podcasts that we've done before on how you can price out some of these strangles. But, you know, I really look for like a relative basis on, you know, premium to margin required. But in this case, it gives us a good idea of, you know, maybe where we need to be if we're going to start trading strangles on IWM. We're looking for about $150 to trade some strangles in something like IWM. Okay. So it was a really good, interesting case study. Again, this is just doing nothing, letting the trade go all the way to expiration, not interacting with it whatsoever, being completely lazy about it. You absolutely crushed the market and you did nothing. I mean, you know, you entered all the trades, but you really did nothing, right? No active management. So now let's change things up just a little bit. Now let's start introducing a little bit more active management to this strategy. So if we think to ourselves, okay, that accomplishes the first one of our expected probability paradox, and that is IVs over expectation. Got it. Checks the boxes for short premium. Now let's introduce some sort of profit-taking initiative, basically. And so I ran two different versions of this because I want to compare and contrast as we go through here. So the first one I ran on IWM was all the same setup, 40 days to expiration, no IV rank, no stop loss again. But the only thing I changed was profit-taking now at 75%. So instead of letting it go all the way to expiration, now what we're going to do is we're going to hold until we get 75% of our potential profit. Now in this case we saw a total return of 140%. So by taking trades off a little bit early, we sacrificed a little bit 
our total expected gain. We did not make as much total dollars as we would have made in the other scenario. But what we did do is we did smooth our portfolio even more. So now in exchange for not maybe making as much, you actually saw your consistency metrics start to really smoothen out. And this is was prevalent in the Sharpe ratio because this strategy actually had a better Sharpe ratio. You actually had better risk-adjusted returns by taking trades off early than by letting them go to expiration. So when you took this strangle off at 75%, you saw your win rate at 81%. So again, you dramatically increased your win rate another couple of percentage points. And at the same time, we reduced our drawdown to 41% from 45%. So by taking trades off early, and this is why I'm such a big student of doing this, by taking trades off early, we now have given ourselves an opportunity here to increase our consistency, win at a much higher clip, and also reduce the frequency of drawdowns because now we don't let the market move against us. Whereas if we let the trade go all the way to expiration, what if the market moves against us the last two days to expiration and we have a big fat profit and then the last two days we lose everything, right? That's what taking trades off early or managing trades early does, is it doesn't allow the market to run up against you. In the case of the short strangle where we let it go all the way to expiration, our average time in the trade was 39 days, like right at 40 days, right? In the case of the trade where we took profits at 75%, we were in the trade for an average of 32 days. So just literally seven, eight days before expiration. So we're taking these things off close to expiration. But in doing that, those last couple of days in some instances are what caused us to lose money in the first scenario. So really, really fascinating stuff. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do another one. So I ran it all over again, but now instead of a 75% profit target, what I did is I ran it at a 50% profit target level. Now, this is really interesting as well, because this is what we talk about all the time with, you know, like using our trade optimization and finding what that optimal level is. And this is what you can do with backtesting. You can do it yourself or you can use our software to do it for you. But in this case, taking trades off at 50%, we saw a total return of 146%. Now that's interesting to me because now we're taking trades off earlier at 50% profit target, not letting them go even close to expiration, and we actually made more money than taking trades off at 75%. That's really fascinating to me. In fact, compared to taking trades off at 75%, where we actually made less money, right? When you took trades off at 50%, you saw a win rate of 88% and a maximum drawdown of 42%. So in this example, you increased your drawdown 1%. So you had 1% higher drawdown at some point, but in exchange for that 1% potential risk and drawdown, you increased your return by 6% and increased your win rate by almost 7% above taking profits at 75%. So again, when you took profits at 50%, you had an 88% win rate and a 42% drawdown at some point. That's crazy to me. Again, it just really shows that there is no linear answer to this in many respects because there's no one way to say, yes, you always have to take everything to expiration or yes, 75% has got to be better than 50%, right? Because there's so much, you know, there's these other dimensions of letting the trade go extra days and, and what's the risk in letting the trade go, you know, closer to expiration. When we took trades off at 50%, we were in the trade for an average of 24 days. So nowhere near, I mean, a little over half the time period. And that to me is, I think, what the difference was in this case, because the rest of the time period getting closer to expiration, what we saw is we saw that that is when most of our risk was prevalent. Those last couple of days where the market maybe makes a big move and turns what should be a profit into a loss. So in either example here, as I just take one step back and hopefully you guys are really enjoying this podcast, I love going through this stuff. I I truly geek out on this. So I hope you guys enjoy this. But in both of these examples, the IWM short strangles and the DIA credit spreads, what is totally clear throughout this, and we can track through hundreds of thousands of back tests that we've run on hundreds of tickers and millions of combinations is that there is a relationship between taking money off the table early and increasing your win rate, reducing drawdowns, and in many cases, increasing your potential return. Now, of course, that's not to say that that is always going to be the rule. There might be certain scenarios or certain setups where not taking money off the table is the best. 
And that's why we built the back tester. That's why we built the trade optimizer because there's no unicorn strategy. There's no way to say that at every single instance, you should do this and not this. It is really dependent on the market scenario that you're in. And this is the beauty. Again, like I'm getting back to this because this is the future of trading. The future of trading is letting computers and algorithms take over this decision-making process and trade the most optimal strategy at the most optimal time. I mean, if you think about it, computer algorithms are doing this all over the world in many different markets already, but they need to be doing it on the retail side, which is why we built the auto trading software. So that if the optimal setup is to do a short strangle and take profits at 50% in this scenario, then let the bots do it for you. You don't have to remember all of these little different scenarios that you have to trade in. We're going to be setting up bots that work perfect in this scenario. And when that scenario happens, boom, a trade is triggered. And then we'll set up another bot that says, hey, whenever this scenario is present, then make a trade. And then boom, that bot will just sit in hiding and kind of waiting and always watching and monitoring the market. And then as soon as that scenario hits, boom, a trade's made and the bot manages it. This is the power of using data and stats behind your trading, because now what you can see throughout all of this is that what you might assume is going to be the win rate and the returns on everything heading into a trade is not necessarily what actually happens when it plays out. And in both of these examples, as we go through IWM and DIA, I hope you saw that just the implied volatility over expectation and early profit taking can change the paradigm completely for you and can really turn the tide. You can do one or the other, or you can choose to do both and really increase your overall returns and your portfolio stability, which for me is important because I want stable income. I don't want my portfolio going up 20% one month and down 20% the next and up 20% the next, right? I hope you all can respect that. And I think you probably agree. So now let's take a pause here for a second. And again, get back to our three top things that we were talking about. In the expected probability paradox, we already covered IVs over expectation through this research, and we already covered profit-taking through this research. The last thing that we have to talk about, and I leave this last because as you already saw, you don't need to do this to be successful, but I think doing this takes what we just talked about and elevates it to a much higher level. So again, to be 100% clear, and I tell this to people all the time on our onboarding webinar for members. You do not need to be great at making adjustments and rolling. But let me tell you, if you do master this craft, which is not hard to do, if you have the ability to adjust trades and reduce risk and roll trades and extend duration, you will take your trading to a much higher level. Because now what we do with adjustments and rolling is now we start to fight the drawdowns. We start to chip away at the 30% or 20% of trades that are losing, and we, in some cases, reduce their impact on the portfolio or completely turn them around. And that is insanely powerful as an options trader. Let me just take one step back and say this. If you can take a trade that should, when it loses, lose $700, let's say three out of every seven times you're going to lose $700, Well, if you can take just one of those losers, just one, I'm not saying you could do it on all three of the losers, but just one and turn that losing trade through adjustments and rolling into a winning trade. Again, you break this zero sum game and you dramatically shift the odds in your favor. Now, just as food for thought, and I highly encourage you to do this, please go back through and listen to episode 131 on this podcast, just seven episodes ago where we talked about our rolling options forward multi-month case study in TLT and IWM. You want a literally step-by-step showing you two examples of how we did this, go back and listen to 131. If you've already listened to it, listen to it again. Now, conceptually, why this works for the expected probability paradox is because when you make an adjustment, what you are doing is you are adjusting the position to reduce risk. And when you reduce risk, now you layer on top of what we already ran in our backtesting as enhanced performance. Now remember, our backtesting software has no adjustments in it right now. That's stuff that we're going to add in the future and hope to have soon, right? But our backtesting software has no adjustments. It can't roll from one month to the next. It can't make an adjustment trigger and say, okay, adjust this contract if it starts to go become a loser, right? We've run all that research and we're going to be compiling it into a pretty sweet report that you guys will have in the, in the coming months. But 
it doesn't allow us to do that right now. So everything we just ran is just one expiration period, only dealing with stop losses and profit taking. So if the strategies perform that well, not even including adjustments, imagine how much better your portfolio is going to perform when you can actually take a losing trade that should lose, say, $700 and cut the loss to, say, $300. That is not out of the realm of possibility. In fact, it happens all the time. Or better yet, you take a trade that should lose $700 and you make $100 which again, happens all the time. We've got tons of case studies and tons of live videos that prove this. We walk through all of our trades showing you guys how we do this. It's I'm not telling you something I haven't done myself multiple dozens of times. So when you make adjustments, you are cutting down the risk. You're starting to chip away at that 42% drawdown, which when you chip away at the drawdown, it starts to vertically increase your P&L diagram and you start to vertically see your payoff over time start to increase and stabilize. The other concept that we have here is rolling trades for duration. So when you roll trades, you extend the trading timeline and give yourself an extra 30 days, an extra 40 days to see if the trade works out. Now we've done this, like I said in the example on show number 131, we've done this multiple times. I mean like all the time and we have all of these videos posted publicly on our YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube, look up case study or adjustments on our channel. We've got I think 45 of these little mini case studies where we've done this that are just posted, uh, EWZ, where we got not only assigned, but we rolled, told, turned a full loss into a $150 winner. We had an SMH case study where we rolled for three months, turned a loser into a $264 winner. Uh, another TLT position where we rolled an Iron Butterfly multiple times, should have been a multi-hundred dollar loser, turned it back around to a $114 winner. Another TLT position, another IWM, EWY that we have rolled, SMH, Google, SLV, GDX, I mean, you name it, IYR, EEM, we've done these at nausea. There's no way that you can tell me that rolling and extending duration is not a strategy that will enhance returns. Because if you do it right, and if you roll for a credit, and if you extend your trading timeline, it can only improve your situation. Let me offer you one last piece of advice on rolling and adjusting. One of the reasons why I believe so strongly in your ability to roll and extend a trade is because when you roll and extend trades, and you do so for a credit, which is a key component of this, then in many cases, especially with risk-defined trades, the only thing you are doing is reducing risk. Because if the stock does continue to move against your position, and let's say you rolled to another month and the stock just kept blowing by your strike prices, at least you got some extra time to maybe be right. But if that didn't even work out, you at least reduce risk in the process. And that really chips away at those drawdowns. It really chips away at those supposed zero-sum expected returns that many people see when they look at initial pricing. They always think to themselves, if I lose, I'm going to lose the max. Who says you're going to lose the max? Who says you can't adjust it and roll it? Who says you can't turn a credit spread into an iron condor and cut the max loss in half or more by being smart about how you make adjustments? There's no playbook that says you are always going to lose the max loss when you lose. The stock may not fall all the way down past both strikes. It may just fall, you know, down and 10 cents in the money. That doesn't mean you're going to always lose the max. So you really have to, you know, challenge this thinking that you might have in your mind that you're always going to lose the maximum amount. It's really not the case. And again, what I said earlier today still holds true is that adjustments are the last thing. You don't need to do adjustments. We proved that already in the back testing we ran in IWM and DIA. You don't want to do adjustments. You don't understand them. Cool. Fine. Awesome. Don't do adjustments. Just stay consistent. Keep your position size small. Take profits early. You'll do way better than the market. But if you want to take it to the next level and reduce your drawdowns even more, reduce drawdowns to say 20, 30% at max instead of 40, 50%, then you got to get good at adjustments. And you got to understand conceptually how they work and how to roll positions. And again, it's not hard. We have 
training that literally outlines every adjustment technique for every strategy. We have rolling videos that show you exactly how to roll trades. We've laid this whole thing out for you guys. You just have to go there and learn and, and pick it up on your own and watch the videos. Watch me do it on a live trade. Watch me walk through the process on a training video. It's all out there for you guys for free, for free for you guys to just pick it up and run with it basically. But hopefully this concept makes sense because it's really that much more powerful. Making adjustments is so powerful for the next level trader that I think it it really has to be part of a portfolio if you're going to really take this to the next level. If you're kind of so-so about it and you just want to beat the market and have outsized gains, I mean, who doesn't? You know, go ahead, do the regular trades, take profits, don't even worry about adjustments. But if you want to take it to the next level, really take it to the next level, stabilize everything on a really, really consistent basis. You got to learn how to do adjustments and rolling. All right. So I think we've gone a little while now on this whole concept, but thank you so much for sticking with me on this. I want to just quickly review the three things that we talked about, the expected probability paradox, this whole idea that there's things you don't see up front, these intangibles that you don't see in the pricing or the probabilities when you initially make a trade and they make a world of difference as hopefully you've already seen. First thing was IV over expectation. The second thing is profit taking or managing trades early. And the last is adjusting and rolling trades. So again, if you found this podcast insanely helpful, and I hope you did, please let me know one, add a comment, add a review, but please more than anything else, please share this online. Let's get this stuff into the hands of other people out there. We have plenty of capacity to handle more people coming in here and learning how to do this. There's an entire market out there that we have not even touched here at Option Alpha, which is crazy and really excites me because people are doing this wrong and I want to reach them. And so the way that I reach them is through you guys. If you guys share what we're doing here and think that it's valuable enough to spread to somebody else, I would be insanely humbled and appreciative of that referral to those people and sharing this show with them. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. This is Azim Sedebi. Love your videos on YouTube and I always listen to them and I already learned a lot from them. But one question I had was about the high probability, but also the high IV options. So when we sell them, the reason why the IV is high is because of the swings or possible swings in the stock price. So the premium we collect from those high IV options, would they always be enough to cover the swing, the possible swing? in the stock value because there's a reason why the volatility is high in the first place, right? So it is because the stock price is going to potentially go one way or the other. So you're counting on that and selling on this. And I understand the um, the price, uh, you know, for the IV is, uh, you know, is overestimated. So I understand that part, but would that be always enough to cover even if you sell 100% IV rank. So that's my question. And thank you so much again. All right. So thank you so much for the question. And again, really, the question is perfect for today's episode, which is why I threw it in here. And this idea of just wondering, you know, during these high implied volatility times where implied volatility is crazy and stocks are going all over the place, do the premiums cover these swings? And the absolute answer is yes. And in fact, even more so than just saying, yes, they cover the swings, it's during these high implied volatility times that people get erratic about buying options and protecting their portfolio, that option prices get bid up so much so that it becomes an insanely good time to be an option seller. And so what I often tell people is that when we see high implied volatility, we want to start scaling up our position size. Whereas I would maybe make a trade during a regular low implied volatility environment around 1% of my account per ticker, right? During high implied volatility, I might really scale that up to say three to 4% per ticker because I know that the statistics and the edge is in my favor. Even if the first trade doesn't play out, even if the first couple months don't play out, if I scale up during high implied volatility markets, I know that the edge is in my favor because people go crazy to buy protection on their house, right? That's really what it is. So imagine somebody's house is burning down. How much is that worth to them? If they have a $100,000 house burning down, do you think 
that they'll spend $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 if they knew they could stop it from burning down? Of course, right? That's what people do when the house burns down. When we see volatility increase, people just trip over themselves to buy protection and they buy it at such a large rate and such a high price that the edge is so much greater for option sellers. So again, thank you so much for submitting the question. As always, if you guys want to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask. Click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's incredibly easy. We are always taking new questions that we are adding not only to this show, the weekly show, but also to our Facebook lives that we do, and also our daily podcasts, which is called The Daily Call. If you haven't subscribed to that, please do. We're adding a lot of those to The Daily Calls and answering questions there on a daily basis. So believe me, they do not fall on deaf ears. I want to hear what you guys have to say. So again, the best way to do that is to head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right. So in today's closing bell segment, I want to go through a new trade that we just got into in SMH. So SMH has been a wonderful trading vehicle for us. This ticker symbol and ETF has been great for us the last couple of months. It was a classic example of a stock where the stock was actually running into a huge rally, maybe the end of 2017 stock went through a huge rally from 85 up to around 105. And we got burned a little bit on that. We had a bunch of short strangles. We had, it seemed like the last like two or three months of that rally were not really good for us. I mean, we had a couple losers for sure. We had some drawdowns on that, but we stayed consistent with this. And since basically November of 2017 until now, the stock has gone nowhere. I mean, it's basically traded sideways up and down all over the place, but it's gone absolutely emphatically dead sideways. And that has been great because we didn't let that initial sequence of returns really derail us from continuing and maintaining trading positions here. And I think this is one of our most profitable tickers that we traded over the last couple of years and absolutely the most profitable one that we've traded this year. And we have a really, really high win rate in SMH right now. In fact, it's one of our highest win rates. I don't think we've lost maybe on a trade in like three months in SMH. I mean, so we're really running up against a good string of trades here and we just have to stay consistent. Now, in this case for SMH, we are setting up a short strangle. So we're going to use that same framework that we used earlier in the podcast on IWM to set up a short strangle in SMH. We're selling about the 15 deltas on either side. So selling the 116 call options, the 97 put options, and collecting $153 for each of these. Now, this is our second set of laddered entries in SMH. We have already entered an initial set. Now the stock is a little bit higher. We're entering another set and we're just continuing to do this kind of laddering technique here in SMH, basically entering a new trade every three to five or so days as we fill up the portfolio. But it really much goes very much in line with how we back tested and traded IWM. In fact, it's a very similar high beta to IWM security being a semiconductor. And so it's a really good trade for us and I really like it. So as always, if you want to follow our trades, you can go ahead and upgrade to the Pro Early Memory membership on the website, follow trades like this and commentary that we do on a daily basis and the video updates, all of that stuff rolled into the membership. So again, SMH short strangle selling the 16 calls, the 97 puts for September expiration. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right. As always, I hope you guys truly enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. If you guys want additional resources and some of the links that we mentioned in the show, please head on over to the video training page for the show and the show notes page over at optionalpha.com slash show 138. That's just the number 138, optionalpha.com slash show 138. Until next time, happy trading.